This is Always Advancing with your host, Josh Sanchez, the podcast created for multidimensional individuals, those that are looking to enhance their human experience and activate their state of self-actualization. Tune in each week for growth hacks and inspiring interviews to help you advance and actualize your full potential. I appreciate your attention and I'm grateful for your awareness. Let's go. Hi-yo. On your journey to enhance your relationships in your life and really deepen the connections you have now and deepen the connections for those who are going to join you on your journey in the future, I recommend a good baseline to start would be ancient Toltec wisdom. Before we jump into the episode, I really want to dig into the importance of deep connections in life. A really good way to frame this episode up is by sharing with you what my last guest on the podcast said. Here's something he shared with us last week. With all this technological innovation, with all these experts and these new ways to enhance performance for elite athletes, one thing that will never disappear or expire, and the importance is becoming more and more apparent, arguably the most important variable of elite performance in teams and families and marriages and everything, is deep relationships. Building relationships so strong, they can bear the weight of truth. Building relationships so strong, they can bear the weight of truth. To have relationships to where whatever I say, we know it's strong enough to where I can be honest with you, and you can be honest with me, psychological safety is a game changer. It's huge. And I want to add to that just by saying finding those people and auditing your circle to surround yourself with those who genuinely not only have your best interest in mind, but who love you who appreciate you, and who want to see you win. Find those deep connections and start building advancers. I want to finish that thought out with something Neil Strauss said. The secret to progress and growth is not discipline, willpower, the newest trending lifestyle, goal setting, it's positive community. Cool. So before we jump into this, if your lexicon about love, your emotional self, relationships, and deep connections is still, that shit's only for females, bro, or you really going to talk about deep connections? Take that alpha mask off. Remove the masculinity mask that has been conditioned on you since childhood and recognize it for what it is. I ask you, keep an open mind and stick with me for a few minutes. It's definitely going to be worth your time and your multidimensional growth depends on it. That was a long introduction, but let's jump into the episode. One book has helped me reprogram my mind in this aspect when it comes to relationships away from the societal norms to one that really implements the teachings of the Toltecs. Specifically, the teachings from Don Miguel Ruiz. He's a Mexican author of Toltec Spiritualism. No exaggeration, Adventures. The most recommended book, and the book I've gifted the most in my lifetime, is his book, The Mastery of Love. The book that you may recognize this author from is The Four Agreements. That's what got him on the Oprah show. That's what got him really the notoriety and the the place where he is now. I also recommend that, but in the practical art of relationships, this book will transform your life. It's been translated into 40 plus different languages, and he has been noted as a top 100 spiritual authors in the world. So I want to open up the dialogue by prefacing what Toltec wisdom is and where it comes from. Toltec mythology 
is full of timeless teachings, just like most spiritual practices have great teachings that one can embody to enhance their lives. Thousands of years ago, the Toltecs were known through southern Mexico as women and men of knowledge. They were scientists and artists that formed a society to explore and conserve the spiritual wisdom and practices of the ancient ones. They came together as students and masters at Teotihuacan, the ancient city of pyramids outside Mexico City. Toltec knowledge arises from the same essential unity of truth as all the sacred esoteric traditions found around the world. Though it is not a religion, it honors all the spiritual masters who have taught on the earth. While it does embrace spirit, it is more accurately described as a way of life distinguished by the ready accessibility of happiness and love. Don Miguel has a genius way of storytelling and making complex delivery of tough subjects into a super simplistic story that everyone can resonate with. He obviously understands the brain retains information best through metaphor and storytelling. That concept is, is something he's mastered. When we meet other people, and we're, now we're talking about in the container of this, this Toltec wisdom, the majority of the episode will be in, in this container. When we meet other people, we classify them into our dream world. Toltecs refer to the collective reality as a dream. You master your own personality and your own beliefs. You've practiced all your life to be what you are in this collective. But here is the problem. Those influences come from religion, state, or government, consumer propaganda, community, parental upbringing, the linguistics of our society as well. Each one of those you can break down into smaller categories, but you get the overall picture. This isn't us. This is who we are taught to be. This is the world that creates us and dominates our beliefs. Now, this wouldn't be a problem if the world we were born into was one that embodied the teachings of love, compassion, and acceptance. The manifestation of the world we live in has made us masters of anger, resentment, jealousy, possessiveness, conditionality, control, and transactional relationships. These are taught to us at a young age, and we spend most of our lives relearning the same reactions to pain, hurt, and conditionality. This means we have automatic reactions to every action we encounter in life. At this stage, it is the most difficult to change. Because we have mastered these emotional reactions that at the root come from fear and not love, because love is not jealous, resentful, possessive, or conditional, we have mastered self-rejection, sadness, and we practice over and over. When we are angry, we push others away. When we don't get what we want, we pull away. We use connection in today's society, the best analogy he uses, as a drug. There's the provider and then there's the user. Eventually, you become so good at this that you no longer need to put your attention on these fear-based engagements. It becomes automatic responses for those docilely floating in the collective state of reality. To become masters of love, we have to practice love. The art of relationships is also a whole mastery, and the only way to reach this mastery is to practice it. This isn't about concepts or attaining knowledge. It's life in action. One of the stories he tells is when he explains that we are born into a world where everyone has a skin disease. This is meant to paint the picture of our emotional selves. Imagine that you live on a planet where everyone has a skin disease. For two or 3,000 years, the people on your planet have suffered the same disease. Their entire bodies are covered with wounds, and these wounds are infected. These wounds really hurt, 
when you touch them. Of course, they believe this is normal physiology of the skin. Even the medical books describe this disease as a normal condition. When these people are born, the skin is healthy, but around three or four years of age, the first wounds start to appear. By the time they are teenagers, there are wounds all over their bodies. Can you imagine how these people are going to treat each other? In order to relate with someone, you have to protect your wounds. You would hardly ever touch someone's skin because it's too painful. Still, the instinct to love is so strong that you pay a high price to have relationship with others. Well, imagine that a miracle occurred one day. You awake and your skin is completely healed and it doesn't hurt to be touched. And touch is wonderful because skin is made for perception. Can you imagine yourself with healthy skin in a world where everyone has a skin disease? If you can imagine this, perhaps you can understand if someone from another planet came to visit this world, they would have a similar experience with humans. But it isn't our skin that's full of wounds in reality, it is our human minds that are sick with a parasite called fear. Just like the experience with the infected skin, the emotional body is full of wounds, and these wounds are infected with emotional pain. The manifestation of the parasite of fear is anger, hate, sadness, envy, and hypocrisy. The result of this is all the emotions that make humans suffer. All humans are mentally infected with the same parasite. Go as far as to say this world is a mental hospital, but this mental disease has been in the world for thousands of years. Academia considers this normal. The medical books, the psychology books, and I can tell you it's not normal. Humans live in continuous fear of being hurt and this creates a big drama wherever we go. The way humans relate to each other is so emotionally painful that for no apparent reason, we get angry, jealous, envious, sad. To even say, I love you can be frightening. Think about that. To even say, I love you can be frightening. Something so pure really embodies who we are at the core, at the, the spiritual level as force, whatever, whatever your theology or your philosophy is in spirituality, using words that express the true nature of who we are is frightening. That's where we've come to. In order to protect our emotional wound because of our fear of being hurt, humans create a big denial system. In that denial system, we become the perfect liars. We lie so perfectly that we lie to ourselves and we even believe our own lies. Sometimes, even when we know we are lying, we justify the lie and excuse a lie to protect ourselves from the hurt of our wounds. This denial system is like a wall of fog that keeps us from seeing the truth. We wear a social mask because it's too painful to see ourselves or to let others see us as we really are. We put up barriers to keep others away, but those barriers keep us inside, restricting us from freedom. When you are aware that everyone around you has emotional wounds with emotional poison, you can easily understand the relationships of humans and what the Toltecs call the dream of hell. Now bear with me. If you look at many descriptions of hell, it's the same as human society today. Hell is a place of suffering, a place of fear, war, and violence, a place of judgment and no justice, a place of punishment that never ends. Each of us creates a dream for our own self, but the humans before us created a collective dream, a dream of human society. The big dream includes all the rules of society, its laws, religions, and ways to be. All of this information stored inside our minds 
is like a thousand voices talking to us at once. The Toltecs call this the Mitoti. The real us is pure life and has nothing to do with the dream. But the Matoti keeps us from seeing what we really are. When you see the dream from this perspective, and if you have the awareness of what you are, you see the nonsense behavior of humans, and it becomes amusing. What for everyone else is a big drama, for you becomes a comedy. You can see humans suffering over things that are not important. This is not even real, but we have no choice. We are born in the society, and we grow up in the society, and we learn to be like everyone else. I hope I'm starting to paint the picture of the essence of the book. I'll go into saying this. When you observe children at play between the ages of two and three, they are completely and utterly in a creative state of joy and love. When something gets their attention, that's fear-based, you know, a fear-based emotion, they express it and continue playing. They get hurt, they cry, and then they play again. This cycle extends over time. Eventually, we forget how to be fully present with childlike awe. The best way to put it is, when given the proper attention, even a blade of grass can put you in pure awe. Now, look at two and three-year-olds interact with objects with full perceptions, with all their five senses engaged. At that very moment, they are absorbing so much data that every engagement, interaction, every object they come across is given that, that full presence, and it's, it's a form of mindfulness that we lose sight of or that we lose the ability to to quiet the mind over an extended period as, as we grow into adulthood. But it is absolutely poetic. We are conditioned and domesticated through extrinsic motivation tactics, the old punishment and reward system, being demonized or idolized, those tactics. We are trained like animals to adopt the behaviors and actions of those already in the program of, of fear-based relationships. The fear of not getting the reward becomes the fear of rejection. The fear of not being good enough is what makes us try to change and create an image. To be accepted, we learn to pretend to be what we are not. We practice being someone else just to be good enough for mom, dad, our religion, our community, the state, whatever that, whichever one of those resonates with you the most, one of them do. We practice and we practice and we master how to be what we are not. We have masks for when we go to school, a mask for our family and friends, a mask for our community, and a mask for our place at work. This is also true for a simple romantic relationship. The person one has an outer image that they try to project to others, but when that person is alone, they have another image of themselves. Person two has an outer and inner image. By the time they are adults, the inner and outer images are so different, they hardly match anymore. In an average relationship in hell, there are four images and or masks, at the very least. How can they really know each other? They don't. They can only try. When a man meets a woman, or a man meets a man, or a woman meets a woman, doesn't matter. No, I'm just trying to make the point here. I'm not, I'm not trying to get into uh, semantics. When a man meets a woman, he makes an image of her from his point of view, and she makes an image of him from her point of view. Then they try to make each other fit into this image. Of course, they are lying to each other without any idea that they're doing it. The relationship is based on fear and is based on lies. It's not based on truth because they cannot see through all that fog. It's nearly impossible to, to create a, a true, authentic, deep relationship without truly knowing the person that you are in an intimate relationship with. To get deeply intimate, you've got to know who 
that person is. And if they're putting up a front, a facade, a mask, an image, a hologram of the person you're trying to make them be, and they're, they're trying to force themselves into this image of what your expectations are and vice versa, things can get so convoluted and so love essentially is diluted. It, it's not that real, it's not the real sense of the word. Deep connections aren't possible without showing up as your true self, period. He also playfully and simply paints a picture of the state of relationships and how we try to change who someone is to fit into our expectations rather than loving them for who they are or finding somebody who you can love for who they are. He says, if you wanted a dog, why'd you get a cat? If you wanted a chicken, why did you get a horse? There are 8 billion people on this earth. You can find exactly what you want your ideal partner to be to traverse this amazing world with. You know, let's say, for example, you want a pig, but you want that pig to growl like a tiger and you want to teach it. And it tries and it tries, it puts in the effort. It just can oink. It, it can't growl. Or, for example, you were like, you're a pig and I love you, but I want you to meow. And that pig doesn't put in forth the effort to meow. It has the ability to meow, but it doesn't put forth the effort. Then you move on and find yourself a cat that naturally has the ability to meow. Or you find another pig that puts forth enough effort to meow. And then you guys continue that relationship together. Potential is amazing, but at the end of the day, if you've set agreements and communicated and clarified, hey, I don't want you to do this, and they continue doing this, or hey, are you able to try this out? And I think it'll better the relationship or enhance the, deepen the connection, and they don't even try, then it's it's time to move on. All of this is, is just driving it home that that's why it's so important to embrace and accept who you are. Every aspect of your human nature, light and dark, you're human after all. We are a social species. That's why connection matters and why shame is so painful and debilitating. We are wired for belonging. Being an outlier or getting off the beaten path exposes you to vulnerability and a consequence of that is being disconnected from those closest to you, which goes against your very biological and survival instincts. Advancers, whether you know it or not, our mind and our biology have been shaped to favor this outcome. So hear me out. You may be asking yourself, why not just fit into where I don't belong? Why not just go with the flow that I was born into? It's easier. I don't have to expose myself in fear of rejection because let's be honest, fear of rejection has been conditioned on us since birth. It affects our physiology. It affects our physical bodies, our minds. It's deeply ingrained in our society. So the caveat to conforming to the world you were born into is that you're still going to lack the deep connections that are necessary to enhance your short time here on Earth. By creating these masks and facades to fit in, that armor and the walls you've built up don't just magically disappear when you come to this new awareness. This is where the challenge begins and the process of emotional growth and real connections start. Besides bringing your awareness to the state of society today, the mastery of love dives into the importance of self-love first, how to clean and heal these emotional wounds, and it takes a spiritual twist to try and define and bring a larger purpose to who you truly are. I want to get into all that, but I also want to touch on the current state of society and the trajectory we are on with this fear-based paradigm. There's a broad spectrum of the human condition, and I couldn't avoid, I couldn't not talk about the opposite of love, especially with a society rooted in fear, as current day society is. 
I had to kind of expose or bring an awareness to this so we could become conscious of it and eventually change. We can't change something that we're not aware of, and we can't redirect focus onto something that we can't see. So listen up. Emotional pain and anger is within each one of you. If you are listening to this podcast, this statement does apply to you. Unchecked, over decades, this anger will transform into hatred, violence, revenge, and destruction. Compassion and connection are synonymous. If we have tools in place to dilute anger into chewable pieces that we can express and get rid of, we will make ourselves available to connect with this world to make it a more understanding, accepting, and compassionate place. The first step in advancing and growing the most dangerous weapon we have in battling a fear-based society is our minds. I want to give you a new perspective, but at the end of the day, change comes from within. You've got to want to change too. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because I changed my own trajectory and I made a conscious decision to live a life rooted in love rather than rooted in fear. I came from humble beginnings and as I got older, the neighborhoods I was raised in steadily started to decline. I was lucky that we moved from the surroundings that we did into an area that didn't have much crime at all and had contributing members of society. But being the hard head I was, I kept a foot in the streets. As I started to come to age, my closest friends were drug dealers, gangbangers, and felons. You find out very quickly that fear is a normal part of life and the mind's ability to acclimate to its reality extremely powerful. Our neural, hormonal, and genetic makeup support interdependence and belonging in direct correlation with our environment. You can empathize why these groups still exist today. Looking over your shoulders constantly, physical violence is a way of life, and your life is as expendable as the drugs you're selling. I've witnessed atrocities in the name of loyalty and gruesome acts of violence packaged as necessity but oozing with fear and hatred. I lived in a constant state of stress and could trust no one, but I manifested that reality, and I take 100% accountability for the relationships and people I chose to run with. I've experienced some very dark sides of the human condition and have seen firsthand how quickly a group of citizens can become destructive and full of hate and vengeance. Experiencing these things and being lucky to have grown to the ripe old age of, you know, where I'm at, 27, not thinking I was going to see past 21, it's very easy to be in a state of gratitude constantly when you're out of that environment. But emotional pain that is denied or ignored becomes fear. Anger that is never released becomes resentment and bitterness. If we don't change this fear-based reality, we will pay for our hate with our lives. Okay, that was pretty deep. We'll go a little bit deeper, okay? That was a little bit of my experience. I just wanted to share some of my life's journey with you guys. People are hard to hate close up. The complexity and richness of each and every one of us is unquantifiable. Uh, Unless we walk an entire life in another person's shoes, every thought they have, And moment by moment, sometimes we forget that. And with the lack of self-awareness and self-love, this fear-based culture has only grown in intensity. What I could never in my wildest dreams imagine coming to fruition is happening before our very eyes. I've observed it in the media, in propaganda, and amongst members of my own network. The fact that dehumanization 
is becoming normalized is not a good sign of the trajectory our culture is on. I'll cite Brene Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness. She explains what dehumanization is the best. Dehumanization is a psychological process of dehumanizing the enemy, making them seem less than human, hence not worthy of humane treatment. The beginning of this process is often started by creating an enemy image. As we take sides and lose trust and get angrier and angrier, we not only solidify an idea of an enemy, but we also start to lose our ability to listen communicate, and practice even a little bit of empathy. Once we see people on the other side of a conflict, morally inferior and dangerous, the conflict is framed up as being against evil. Once the party has framed conflicts in this way, their position becomes more rigid, in some cases zero-sum thinking that takes hold as parties begin to believe that they must secure their own victory or face defeat in the face of evil. Dehumanization has fueled innumerable acts of violence, human rights violations, war crimes, and genocides. It makes slavery, torture, and human trafficking possible. Dehumanizing others is the process in which we become accepting of violations against human nature, the human spirit and violations against the central tenets of our faith. How does this happen? Most of us have a moral compass, can feel universal truths, and overall have the ability to intellectually see that certain acts like murder, rape, and torture do not align with growth in the advancement of our species. Listen up, advancers. This is how this happens. Because when you successfully dehumanize a group, other humans, this creates moral exclusion. The targeted group is depicted as less than criminal by nature and evil. Eventually, they fall out of the scope of what was naturally defined by our moral codes. This is moral exclusion and dehumanization is at the foundation, none of which is possible without fear. The Holocaust, indigenous people, slaves, all of these people were called subhuman, savages, and animals, and aliens, just non-human. It's hard to believe that we would exclude other humans as non-humans. This ties back into it's hard to hate people close up. It's just the truth. When there's a connection, hate cannot exist. You have to disconnect, then dehumanize, then include moral exclusion in that process, and then these acts are okay, which is not okay. We are all vulnerable to the process of dehumanization, and I'm sure many of, uh, of you have had interesting conversations with your loved ones. Therefore, we are all responsible for recognizing it, bringing our conscious awareness to the possibility that its insidious teeth may have already infected our psyche and help others to come to awareness to stop it. Challenging ourselves to live by higher standards requires constant diligence and awareness. We are so saturated by these words and images, we are close to normalizing moral exceptions. Okay, I know that was a bit heavy, but I just wanted to show you that duality of what the opposite of love looks like. I've experienced that face-to-face, -face, close up, and I want nothing to do with it. 
So you get the picture. We need to shift the tides and start practicing unconditional love. Practice, practice, practice. This process for change begins within us. How do we transform the state of society from a fear-based one to a love-based one? I believe the ancient Toltec teachings have an amazing foundation that you could build off of. It's not the magic pill or anything, but it is a good foundation. And if it resonates with you, great. If not, that's okay too. Your practices and beliefs are rooted in love and compassion. Keep doing it and practice it every day, Advancers. So back to the mastery of love. Understanding the simple concept of the wounded mind is a paradigm shift. It puts into perspective why romantic relationships at times are so difficult. The emotional body is sick. It has wounds. It has poison. If we are not aware of those wounds and partner's wounds, how can we tend to them? How can we begin to treat these wounds to heal them? We become selfish. The wounds hurt. We have to protect our wounds and even from the ones we love. But if we have the awareness, we can have the different agreements. When we are aware our partner has emotional wounds, we certainly don't want to touch that, their wounds. We don't want them to push us to heal the wounds as they don't want us to push us to heal their wounds either. Take the risk and take the responsibility to create a new agreement with your partner. Get creative and change them as needed. Don Miguel says agreements. I use boundaries, but the point is these, these stem from respect and love. Communications through respect and love is the whole key in keeping the love alive and never getting bored in your relationship. It's about finding your voice and stating your needs. It's about trusting yourself and trusting your partner. What you're going to share with your partner is not your garbage, not your shit, but your love, your romance, your understanding. The goal for the two of you is to deepen the connection and that calls for more and more love. If you've had relationship after relationship that hasn't worked out, that ended or that has ended on a a bad note, I'm about to switch your very paradigm and telling you the main problem is that the relationship with yourself is not good. All relationships will be a copy of the first because the relationship with ourself, if the relationship with yourself doesn't change, then you're not dealing with your self-judgment. If you want a rough gauge of where someone is in the process of self-love, when you are in their presence, listen carefully to their self-talk. Most people will not allow anyone to abuse them more than they abuse themselves. If somebody abuses you more than you abuse yourself, you will leave. But if someone abuses you just a little less, you will stay because you believe that you deserve it. The more you love yourself, the less tolerant you become of the abuse from others. When you love yourself, you will not allow anyone to abuse you mentally, emotionally, and definitely not physically. You reject and punish yourself on expectations of others and deep expectations of yourself. You love yourself with conditions. Conditional love is on the opposite side of the spectrum of pure love. Babies don't have words to describe what comes out of them. When they see their mother or father, their toys or their parents, they don't know this is love because they haven't gained the skills to verbally communicate, but they don't need to know words in order to feel. And what they feel is much more than any poet or writer can explain about love. Then as we grow older, we begin to be told how we should be. We become afraid to be ourselves. We start repressing our emotions. We repress things that used to be very natural. And we feel ashamed about our feelings. We believe that love makes us vulnerable. We become afraid to be hurt. But it's not love that hurts us. It's all the lies that we believe that cause us to fear. When we finally stop believing those lies... When we finally have the courage to allow ourselves to feel, 
we will recover the capacity to love, and it was always there. If we practice, we can win the war against lies. We can become masters. That's why it's called the mastery of love. Not because we learned this. No, love is an instinct. It's a part of the evolution of the human's emotional body. Mastery can happen to any of us if we stop being afraid to be ourselves. You need to be yourself, then accept who you are, and then begin the process to fall back in love with yourself. I mean, honestly, what what would you rather have? What's the opposite? Like, what's the only other option besides love? Every emotion stems back to either love or fear. So if we were not taking actions or expressing emotions that stem back to love, then, then mostly we're, we're expressing emotions that stem back to fear. Juggling the idea, do I want relationships rooted in love? If you're even questioning that, I think your lexicon is upside down. Because if you treat your partner with love and respect, who's going to benefit? You are. You're going to benefit. If you're in a relationship and you work on your half, and your partner and their, your partner works on their half, you'll see how quickly progress is made. Love equals happiness, right? Grown up in a society looking at relationships through movies, TV shows, and having these expectations of what relationships are supposed to be like. I'm a half, she's a half, that when we come together, we're a whole. No, that's bullshit. Make yourself whole, build yourself up, build your self-love, accept yourself, show yourself to this world as you truly are, find somebody who's practicing that. Obviously, we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Otherwise, we'd be having a God experience and not a human experience. But show up, progress, grow, grow together. Find another human being that understands that at the very core, nobody is resp- nobody can be responsible for your happiness. No other human being can be responsible for self-love. No other human being can be responsible for your controlling your emotions. Only you have that ability. The only control you have is you. Nothing else on this planet is under your control. Only you. And when we come to that realization and we meet others like that, it, it is be- a beautiful relationship. When you can come to a space with two, obviously, whole people working on themselves, but understanding these simple concepts, relationships, it, it can be like heaven on earth. The day will come when you can be with your partner with no guilt, no blame, no anger. If you become a servant of love and your partner becomes a servant of love, you can just imagine all the possibilities. The day will come when you can be with your partner with no guilt, no blame, no anger or shame or sadness. That day will be wonderful when you can be completely open only to share, only to serve, only to give your love. It's no longer a war of control. It's about service. But you can only do that when the love you have for yourself is very strong. So let's get into that. Here's some advice from the book. This this episode's a lot longer, and I really want you guys to pick up a, a copy of this book because it's it's made a tremendous impact on my life. So I'll re- roughly um, go over this, but, but it goes more in depth on it. How to heal emotional wounds, restore spirit of playfulness, those childlike qualities that make us uniquely us and our condition out of us throughout our upbringing. Three simple points. The truth, forgiveness, and self-love. That's a process. So you'll know the truth, and the truth will reopen your wounds. You got to clean those wounds with forgiveness because forgiveness is the only way to clean them. Love is a medicine that accelerates the process of healing. Unconditional love. No, if this, then love. No, just unconditional love. No expectations. You cannot be happy if you don't love yourself. You cannot truly love another if you don't have that love for yourself. You cannot be happy 
if you don't love yourself, you cannot truly love another if you don't have that love for yourself. We all are walking around believing that someone will complete us. Fuck no. No one can complete you. That's a lie we're told at a young age. That lie is a feedback loop that will never stop until you take self-love seriously. That is not love that is possessiveness. It is selfishness. It is not control with no respect. No, love, love coming out of you is the only way to have complete love. You no longer reject yourself. You accept yourself and respect everyone else for who he or she is, are not afraid to receive it either. That is the healing. Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, all taught us these principles. Many masters came to these conclusions and delivered the same message. All across the world, from Japan to Mexico, from Peru to Egypt to Greece, there were humans that were healed and they saw the disease in the human mind. And with these three methods, they could heal it. If we can see our state of mind as treatable, then this is a cure. If every person could treat their sick mind and wounded emotional body, we would have a different collective dream. The dream would be what Jesus called heaven on earth, what Buddha called nirvana. It's a place that all of us can live in love because we put our attention there. We choose love over fear. Imagine the way you would treat others in a circle if, if you no longer had those wounds and poison in your body. The boundaries disappear and you start to see everything as it is and not according to your belief system. When you are awakened, you become a skeptic because you see the dream is not true. Most people see the world through their emotional wounds, through their emotional poison, They don't have awareness. They are living in a dream of hell. When you find out what you are is a force, a force that makes it possible for your body to live, a force that makes it possible for your mind to dream. Without this force, your body would collapse on the floor. What you really are is that force. Life is not the body. It is not the mind. It is not the soul. It is that force A newborn baby becomes a child to an adult. When life leaves the body, the body decomposes and turns to dust. You are life passing through your body, passing through your mind, passing through your soul. When you find out, not by logic or by the intellect, but you can feel that force, you find out you are the same force that makes the flowers bloom. You find out you are in every tree, rock, and animal. You are that force that moves the wind and it is breathed through your body. The whole universe is moved through that force and that is what you are. You are life. Adventures, pick up a copy, download it on Audible. Expand your horizon if you choose. This is a longer than usual episode, but importance of it was necessary to extend it a bit. I want to end with this because language is uh, language and communication uh, with a background in sales and business building. Communication and, and language is key to 
getting a message across, raising money, you know, finding business partners, and and really influencing others or building value in, in uh, you know your value proposition. All of this includes language and communication. So I have this really strong affinity towards that right now, and I just want to end with this: we've learned things as human beings that limit us. Much of these these learnings have been passed down from generation to generation for centuries. Much of this destructive learning is so ingrained in our lives we're not even conscious of it. Pain engendered by damaging culture conditions is such an internal part of our lives that we are no longer able to distinguish its presence. It takes tremendous energy and awareness to recognize this destructive learning and transform it into thoughts and behaviors that are of value and service to life. This requires a literacy of needs, a literacy of needs, and the ability to get in touch with ourselves, both of which can be difficult if we have gone through some cultural training that teaches us not to be connected with ourselves. Not only have we never been educated to be literal about our needs, but we are often exposed to training that actively block our consciousness. We've inherited a language that served kings and powerful elites that dominated societies. The masses discouraged from developing their own awareness of their own needs have instead been educated to be dead fish and just go with the flow our culture implies that that needs are negative and destructive the word needy quote-unquote implies inadequacy or immaturity the word lonely when seeking connection from others has a deep shame attached to it like something is wrong with you this is due to how we as a society have defined it. This is seen as a negative, the word the media usually describes bad or horrific acts of violence with that and ties with that person that committed those acts of violence as a loner, not understanding that deep connections and belonging is a nece- as necessary to the human experience as food and water. When people express their needs, they are often labeled as selfish. By encouraging us to separate observation and evaluation to acknowledge the thoughts of needs shaping our feelings or express our request in pure action language, this new type of language heightens our awareness of the culture conditioning influencing us at any moment. Drawing out this conditioning into the light of consciousness is a key step in breaking its hold on us. We are taught our whole lives to fit into where we don't belong instead of finding where we belong and figuring out how to fit in there. Belonging, deep connections, transparent conversations with how you really feel and expressing your needs. This perpetuates inextricable human connections, collective moments, shared experiences, sharing emotions of pure joy and moments of deep sorrow. All this is a part of the human experience. The one underlying consistency in each one of these expressions is a deep connection with another human, which is not possible without showing up as you. Take off your masks and show me who you are. We get loaded with a lot of that baggage during our life. The goal is how much of this can we cut away before we leave this planet?
That's it. Thanks for tuning in. If I brought you any value today, please subscribe for notifications of next week's episode. I would truly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Connect to our community on social media. We are building a tribe of self-actualized grow-getters, those that implement the practice of lifelong learning, understanding it will catalyze self-actualization, the ultimate production of the human spirit. Find your baseline and grow every day. Till next time, adventures. Make the rest of your day the best of your day.